today is a great day. And I mean like a really, really great day. I, I have a goal today is I want each one of us here to float out of here with great joy and happiness all because of Jesus. And so today really is a great day. You want to know why? Because we should all be in hell right now. <laughs> really? I mean, you know who you are. I know who I am. I know, in fact, I straight up deserve every bit of hell. The wrath, uh, the fire, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the judgment for all eternity. I deserve every bit of hell. I know what I've done. I know my past. I know my present. I can figure out my future as well. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know my inactions. I know my words. I know my attitudes. I know my motives. I deserve some hell for sure. But guess what? I, guess what I didn't get today? And for you as well, guess what you did not get today? Hell. Now you're like, well, Ty, it feels like it outside. Hey, hey, that's temporary. It will pass. We got the AC blaring here. But the good news is we didn't get hell today. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, you, you're with me on that, right? Like, for some, give me a nod. Like, yeah, I deserve every bit of it. Oh, yeah, right? And some more, right? For others of you, you hate me talking like this. You're like, I don't like this one bit. Uh, and this shall not stand. Like, you, do, you just don't like it. You, perhaps deep down inside, you have some objections. You're like, well, I mean, hell, that's pretty, pretty strong, Ty. Like, you know, I don't think I, don't think I deserve hell. I, I'm not that bad. And then you'll, then you'll say, I'm not that bad. And you'll compare yourself to somebody, maybe someone sitting beside you. You're like, well, I'm not as bad as them, my spouse or whoever it is. Like, <laughs> So like, you know, maybe they do, or, or maybe you would say, well, you know, I'm not that, I've done some good things in my life, I've done some uh, great things, I've done some religious things, and you would say, hey, I'm not bad, I'm not like a dictator who has their people killed, I'm not like a, a pedophile, or I'm not like a scammer who's like trying to get your, all, all your granny's money or anything like that, I'm not like a producer of one of those Fast and the Furious movies, I'm not horrible <laughs> and deserving of hell or anything, you would, you would say that, but let me, let me kind of push back on a little bit. If you, where you're sitting right now, and it's a good starting point, we'll work through it today, and it's okay, but if you feel like, hey, I really don't deserve hell, I, I don't think you have an understanding of the holiness of God and us comparatively to his holiness. Now, I don't think maybe you understand the gospel and how good it actually is, and you'll understand how good it actually is when you understand how bad the bad news is. And perhaps if you don't understand how good the good news of the gospel really is and how holy and good God is, perhaps if not careful, it'll kind of mess with you in your relationship with God. You'll think that you deserve good. And when God doesn't give you the good in which you deserve, then you do a lot of wild things. You'll start running from God and doing a lot of dumb. Am I right? And the kicker is when we think we deserve goodness from God and not hell or anything like that from our starting point, it kind of messes with our relationships with other people. Why? Because we will think we're better than other people. You ever been around someone who thinks they're better than you? They tend to be judgy. They tend to be reactive and grudge holders, not, not forgiving. You know why? Because when you do something or they see you do something, they'll say, well, I, I would never do that. I would never stoop that low or whatever. And so all of a sudden you prop yourself up like I'm better than they are. And so we get in all sorts of trouble. Now, listen, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel horrible. 
That's not what I'm doing. I don't want you to leave here depressed. Remember, I said I want you floating out of here because of the gospel. But I think when we take an honest assessment of who we are to really look at like, no, this is what God says about me. When we see how bad we really are, we're going to see how good God really is. And I'm going to say that what that's going to cause in us is not to feel horrible. That's going to give us joy. That's going to make us happy, happier people. Doesn't that sound great? Martin Luther, the old reformer, he got it. He said this. So when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, his name is Jesus Christ, son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Isn't that good news? Yeah. And so uh, we're going through the book of Romans over the past uh, season. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and listen to it online or you can just read uh, the first five chapters. But Paul wrote this letter about 2,000 years ago uh, to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was filled with uh, Jewish people who converted to Christianity and Gentile Greek people who converted to Christianity. And um, I think he, he wants to, over these past few uh, chapters, he wants to kind of put them on a level playing field. He, he, wants, to see, uh, he wants them, I believe, to see that they're, they're equal with one another and they're deserving of hell. They're equal at the foot of the cross. And I think the reason why he's doing that is to grow them, to, to mature them, uh, to unify them, and I think also to grow their love, adoration, and devotion to Jesus. Because what Paul's been doing, he's giving them a picture of humanity, and it, it, just, it ain't pretty. I don't know a better way to say that. But what it's showing is, it's showing the immeasurable love, grace, and mercy of God to us. It's scandalous. It's crazy. It's wild. And so if you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 5. That's where we'll spend our time this morning. Romans 5. I say it each and every Sunday. Uh, here at Grace Point Church, you're going to need a Bible. So if you don't have one, we want to give you one. We have them in English and Spanish at Center Point, also at these front tables. Uh, please just stop by, pick one up. They're a free gift to you. And then also you can download Version. It's a Bible app on your phone. And then you can catch up with all the things that we're doing. But last week we saw that we have this reconciliation with God. Because we have been reconciled and justified, meaning we have been declared right, all because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we have peace with God. It's great. Hooray. We also have access to God. Like we're part of the family now. We can go to God in good times, bad times, any times, all the time, because we have access to God. And then we also can have growth from God, meaning in this life you will suffer. But this is the good news about it. Your suffering is not pointless. Pointless suffering, or if there was no point to, any, to our suffering, would be awful. But yet, suffering is to produce endurance in us. Endurance produces character in us. And that character is to look more Christ-like. And that character helps produce hope in us. Isn't that great? And so now what I want to do is I want to look through uh, the next verses that came after last week. And I, I want to show us an honest assessment of who we are and what God has done for us. Sound good? Let me uh, point out four things about us. We're going to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You good? Okay. It says in verse 6, For while we were still weak, so while we're still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So here's the first thing about you and I. Paul calls us weak. You're weak. Weak sauce. This is weak. Now, what does weak mean? Does weak, weak mean you need to get your gym membership and you need to pump some iron and all that? No. Uh, in the original language, the weak, weak there means sick. It's sick to the, to the point of like you 
can't help yourself. There's an inability for you to do something. So when it comes to you impressing God or being right with God, we are weak, meaning we are unable. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, the best president who was never president, uh, he said it like this. He said, God helps those who help themselves. I always wonder where that came from. Uh, it was Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he's wrong. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Why? Because our Bible tells us that we're weak, meaning we can't help ourselves. So it's a pretty, pretty cheery outlook right here. You and I are weak. Weak sauce. Okay? What else? He says right here, look back at verse 6. He says, Christ died for the what? Ungodly. What does ungodly mean? That means that we are godless. We do not have God in the front of our thinking. That also means that at times we scorn God, we rebel against God, we mock God. We are ungodly. So, so Christ died for the weak, and Christ died for the ungodly. So he's saying, humanity, you are weak and ungodly. This is great, right? Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, you know, a person doing the right thing. I'm sorry, that's me clicking. For one doing the right thing, though perhaps for a good person, you know, a morally nice, good person, one would dare even to die. What's he saying there? He's like, like maybe someone would die for a right person or a good person. Um, let me ask you a question. How many people, can you make a list? How many people would you die for? Like, you, like I don't need a pen and a paper for that one. <laughs> this is where you look over to your, to your loved one and say, I'd take a bullet for you. <laughs> and they look back at you like, you keep loading the dishwasher that way, you're going to take a bullet. <laughs> like, <laughs> Some people are a dishwasher crazy around here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me ask you this question then. How many people do you think would die for you? These are short lists, aren't they? Like someone says, oh yeah, I'd, I'd die for that person. It's a very short list right here. I think that's what he's talking about here. It's a short list. Verse 8, he says, but God, greatest two words in the Bible, but God, God is going to intervene. God is going to do something. God shows his love. He's showing, displaying his love for us that, at, that while, in the middle of it, we were still sinners. Not that we got our act together. No, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So not only are we weak, not only are we ungodly, he gives us another one, that we are sinners. You sinner. You're a sinner by nature, like you, you come prepackaged sinful, and then uh, we are sinners by choice. And so we sin, am I right? And so we sin against a holy God. We sin against one another. Think about it when we sin against one another, how God must feel about that. You ever sin against someone? Let me try it again. Hey, remember the last time you sinned against somebody and you said something or did something really dumb or hurtful and all that, and then you had that moment to where, like, hopefully the light bulb came on and you, you, you hurt on the inside because you hurt that person. He's like, oh, I'm grieved. I hurt them. They are hurt. And now I'm hurt because I hurt them. You ever had that feeling before? Please tell me you have. I've never done anything wrong or hurt anybody. Okay. <laughs> now imagine God looking at the crown jewel of his creation, humans doing that to one another. It's got it's to hurt him. It's got to grieve him. We're sinners. So we're weak, we're ungodly, and we're sinners. Now skip down to verse 10. It says, for if while, so still going on, for if while we were enemies, so now we're not only weak, ungodly, and sinners, we're enemies. You know what enemies mean, right? We're on the other side of the aisle, if you will. We're on the other team. Like before Christ, uh, before if you've not trusted Christ or before you did trust Christ, uh, the Bible tells us we're on the team Satan. 
team flesh, team world. And it's like, that's not God's team. <laughs> this, this is not good. So we are enemies. So Paul describes us with four words, weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Is that positive or negative? Negative. It's very negative. Why is he doing this? Why is he pushing them and us to hear this? He's trying to get them and us to understand that God's love was totally unmotivated by anything in us. I'm going to say that one more time. I really want you to get that. God's love for you was totally unmotivated by anything of you, in you, or about you. Hooray! You and I do not impress God. Our resumes are terrible. Like if we were to unfurl our goodness, it's awful. Your report card, my report card, it looks like my high school report card. Awful! It's bad. Failing! It's very, very bad. I mean, it's like, not like God's looking down at us like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, oh dang, that's a really nice one. Down. No, he's a, it's not. And this is, I know you, this may sound counterintuitive, but this is really good news for us. This is motivational, inspirational. This is good. This means that when it comes to salvation, not one of us is better than anyone else. There's not something better in another person that they're not smarter, better looking, more attractive to God or anything like that. No, we are equally weak, ungodly, sinning, sinful, and enemies. This is huge. Why? Can I give you one reason why this truth can absolutely change your life? Can I, can I give you one way, just one way? Like, if you really took, were to believe that, that nothing in you motivated God to love you, can I give you one, one thing that can just change everything? Can you hear one thing? Since God's love is unmerited and not dependent upon us, it will never change. It's unchanging. It's permanent. It's forever. Christian, listen to me. What you did last night does not change God's love with you this morning. Some of you should be like, "Woo! thank goodness. <laughs> Thanks be to God on that. I mean, he has lavished, unmerited, undeserving, you didn't do anything for it, love on you and me if you are in Christ. That means when I fail, not if I fail, when I fail, and when we are heartless and when we are faithless and when we're sinful and a mess, God's love does not change towards you. That is a radical gospel right there. That is radical good news. Doesn't that motivate us? Shouldn't that motivate us to love God more, to trust God more, to obey God more, to think about God more, to worship him with everything? Because you, you and I are weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. Hooray, this is great. But that might not motivate you enough. That, like your current state might not motivate you enough to, to, to be joy-filled and happy in the Lord. So let me keep going. Let me show you how God did all the work in this. So like nothing was motivational in us, and then God has to do all the work to reconcile us. He did every bit of the work. Look back at verse 6. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, what happened? Christ died. Who died? Christ died for the ungodly. Look down at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in the while we're still sinners. What did Christ do? Jesus died for you, like in real time, in history. It says at the right time in verse 6 that Jesus came, meaning I think God had this plan from eternity past that Jesus would come at a certain time period over 2,000 years ago when the Roman rule was all over the land and Israel's 
faith in God was really wishy-washy and religious-y and weird, but yet they were still like anticipating and desiring for the Messiah to come. He comes at the right time into history. Jesus historically, factually lived. And Jesus historically, factually died. He died for us. And that is a love that he shows us, meaning he loved you and did something about it. Um, you can be in a relationship and you can look at someone and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, until you're blue in the face. And you should. Not until you're blue in the face, but you should. Like, listen, listen to me, listen to me. Don't withhold your words from people. Tell them you love them. Tell them you care about them. Encourage them. I tell, I tell my family and friends, all the time, I, I love you. Like, I, 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 when I say I love you, I love you. However, there should be some display, there should be some showing of love. It can feel empty if it's not backed up with some kinds of action. And so God backed up his action of love by doing this. We see in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only son. Love is giving. Love is sacrificial this is the love of Christ. Now, when you think about the, the measuring, the degree of love, when you measure like how much someone loves me, uh, sometimes you can measure it by the, the, um, the worth of the gift and the worth of the receiver. Let's talk about the worth of the receiver, you and I. We're, what are we worthy of? I said it at the beginning. There you go. I feel like I don't want to say that word in church. Oh. We deserve hell. And so our worthiness as weak, ungodly, sinner enemies, that's way down here, am I right? Now, the gift in which God gives, Jesus, which is basically himself. There's no name higher. There's no one greater. Do you see the gap here? And so, like, look at the display of his love for us. It is that vast, that valuable, that big. This is amazing. This is really good news. Look at verse 9. He says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more. Now you're going to see this much more phrase in more of these verses. Much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. If you look back in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul's been talking a lot about the end, a lot about standing before God, a lot about being judged, a lot about God's wrath. And here, right here in this text, he says that we're going to be saved. Now, in Christian circles and church and all that, we use the word saved a lot. Like we'll say, hey, I got saved such and such time uh, on such and such date, or are you saved, or I don't think they're saved, or saved, 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 saved. You ever ask the question, uh, saved from what? What are we being saved from? And most people always say hell, but I, I want to, if you say we're being saved from hell, I, I want to open that up a little bit to make sure we understand what we're talking about. Because some people think when they're saved from hell, they think there's like this place and the great Satan himself is down there. He's got a hay fork, and he's poking people, making everyone's life miserable in hell. That's not hell. That's not hell at all. As a matter of fact, Satan will be in hell soon enough, but he will be under wrath. And so who's, who's doling out the wrath in hell? You can say, it's okay. God. God is the one doling out wrath. And so when Jesus saves you, it's like God saving you from God. That's wild, am I right? That's how, like, he has to punish sin. He has to do something about it. And so his wrath fell upon Jesus. And so it, it, wrath is either going to go one of two places if, on your behalf. It either goes to Jesus, and that's it, or it goes to you for eternity. Now, um, 
That's not popular. Um, most, we don't talk about wrath. We don't talk about hell. We don't talk about those things a lot anymore. Christianity has kind of moved away from that a little bit. Um, I, I, I've said this uh, terminology lots of times, and I want to say it again because I want you to understand uh, what you believe, and I want you to understand kind of what's out there. There's this gospel, which is no gospel at all, called moralistic therapeutic deism. You ever heard this before? Moralistic therapeutic deism. It's kind of the it's kind of the, the religion of the day. It's got five tenets. It's five beliefs within moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, there's a God who uh, exists and created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. All right. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Uh-oh. Feel, feel like we're sliding. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. You got a vanilla ice God. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out my hook while the DJ revolves it. That's your God. Number five, Good people go to heaven when they die. Question, question, question. What do we find out about people earlier in this text? What, what are we, are we, did it say we're good? Did our Bible say that we're good? Oh, no. It said we're weak, ungodly, sinners, and we're enemies. So, well, I guess nobody's going with this one. And it's moralistic. Teach me, teach me how to be good and therapeutic. Make me feel good and deistic. Like, show me some type of God. This is not biblical Christianity. Just because it is... Uh, sold in a Christian bookstore or a Christian bookstore online or just because it's on Christian radio does not mean it's Christian. It may be moral, and you can be moral. Morality may keep you out of jail, but morality is not going to keep any of us out of hell. We're weak, ungodly sinners and enemies. See, if there is no wrath, there is no need for a Christ. And God is not who God said he was, and God did not keep his promises, and God is not good. And people, if they don't understand there's a wrath of God, will, will not even process the afterlife of like, well, what's the point? There's no wrath whatsoever. No, for the gospel to be really good news, you got to understand the really bad news about it, that we are ungodly, that we are weak, that we are sinners, and that we are enemies, and that we need a savior. Christian, is this what you believe? Do you believe that there is a God who doles out punishment? There is a wrathful, vengeful God? Because that's what our Bibles tell us. But listen, listen, that's what we want deep down inside. Every human being wants justice, just not for themselves. You want to drive 90 miles an hour on the 15, but you don't want a ticket. But then when someone else passes you at 95, you're like, they deserve a ticket. You drive by them, you're like, ha! Ah. This is you and this is me, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But, but, but we want someone to punish all these mass shooters, don't we? I mean, we're all afraid to go to the movies, afraid to go to Walmart, afraid to go. I mean, I'm afraid to go to Walmart for many other reasons besides that. But afraid, <laughs> we're just, I mean, school, church. I mean, like sex trafficking in Las Vegas is, is insane. We, we want those people who are taking six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds and putting them in, in sexual slavery, we want them to be punished, right? What, what about our white lies? What, what about our little self-sufficiencies? What about our overindulgences? What about our disrespect at times to authority or other people? 
Nah, let's just look over those. No, 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 no. It's all sin. It deserves hell. And we will get it unless someone does something on our behalf, like a holy loophole. And there is someone who did something on our behalf. And his name is? Man, you got this. You got this. Now think about this, though. If he did this while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies, and while we were sinners, he did all that while we're in this negative state. Imagine what he'll do for you and I now if you're in Christ and you're a a part of his family. Imagine how much more. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What's those two words right there? Much more, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Like like Jesus died for us, but you know that Jesus is alive. He did something the other guys didn't do. Joseph Smith is dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. All those other gurus, teachers, and, and you know, supposedly holy people are all dead. Not Jesus. Like we have a real living Christ. If he could do all that with his death, imagine what he does with his resurrection in our life. Imagine what he does with his life. Like this is really good news. Uh, the resurrection's everything to us. If you look at what Jesus says in John 14, 19, and man, like hold on to this one. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. Do you, do you believe that, Christian? That, like, if you don't believe that, then I've got nothing else for you. <laughs> like, good luck. Like, like, this is the best news ever. We were dead in our trespasses, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But we've been made alive through Christ and his resurrection. Hooray! This is, this is amazing. How much more? I mean, if he was able to save us when we were hostile to him, why would he fail us now when, when we're friends of his? If he didn't give up on you when you were at war with him, what could you do now that peace has been made that where he would give up on you? If Jesus won our salvation when he was dead, how much more will he secure it to the end because he is alive? Like, let's, let's camp out there for one minute. Some of us, we, we feel like we're always on this precipice. We're always on this line. We're always on this crack, this fault crack of like, not crack, fault crack of like, I feel like I'm going to lose my salvation in any moment. I feel like if I mess up one more time, God's got a tight list and he's like, that's it. I'm done with you. It's no, you can't lose something that you didn't earn. You can't lose something you didn't deserve. You can't lose something that Paul's later on going to call next week a free gift. You can't lose any of that. He's the one that gained it all for you. He's really going to open this up in Romans 8, but let me read this to you because it's so good. He says, Romans 8, 38, 4, I am sure, confident. Man, we should walk with some holy, humble swagger in this right here. I am sure that neither death nor life, that's everything, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? That's the how much more. It's, it's greater than what we could think or imagine. Paul picks up on this as well in Ephesians 3, 20, 21. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, meaning we don't even ask big enough. We don't even think big enough of his love. I mean, this this is outstanding. The God who brought us into faith will keep us going in our faith. The God who opened heaven to us will ensure that we arrive safely in his care. This is the God in which we love. How much more? Look back at verse 11. More than that, more than that, 
we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you're in Christ, you're reconciled. Hooray! This is what every human desires, to be reconciled. I like verse 6. It says, at the right time. At the right time. God didn't wait for us to exercise our wills or to incline ourselves to him or to even repent of our sin or clean ourselves up. No, while we were still sinners, while we were weak and useless, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel isn't for ideal people because ideal people don't exist. Can, can you hear that this morning? That's not to make you feel terrible. That's to make you feel joy-filled and God would love you and care for you. Now, for some of you, maybe you haven't trusted Jesus. Like, here's my question for you. Do you want to be a Christian? This is what you're signing up for. This is really good news. This gospel is for you right now. You've shown up at the right time. Today is a day of salvation. In spite of all your failures, in spite of all your fears, in spite of all your past and all your problems, and in spite of all that you don't know and all that, Jesus wants you, loves you. It says, while you were still a sinner, like right now, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to get religious. You don't have to get spiritual. You don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Just like Jesus, I want that. I want you. I want you to save me. I want your life in my place. Forgive me for not doing that. Forgive me for not trusting you. I want to trust you. It's that simple. If you want to come and know Jesus, say, please, please let someone know. At a prayer point or let me know somebody. Say, hey, I want to, I want to trust Jesus. Do that today. There's a story of reconciliation I've, I, I read about every two or three years, and so if you've been here for a while, you get to hear it again. Uh, but if you haven't been here, or maybe if you're new, um, there's a story by a writer by the name of Ernest Hemingway. He had this short story called The Capital of the World, and so this was written in Madrid. In Madrid, uh, the name Paco, which is a great name, was the most popular name in that area of the world. And so there was this old man, he was a father, uh, he wanted to be reconciled to his son, and his son's name was Paco. And the story doesn't tell, like, what happened. Did the, you know, did the son say something awful to the father? You're dead to me, and give me my inheritance, and walk away. Or did the father not forgive him? Or, like, we, we just don't know the story. All we know is that the father desired to be reconciled to the son. And so the father put an ad in the paper in the personal section. So let me pause for my younger folks out there. The paper <laughs> is like the Internet analog and outdated, okay? And so if you wanted to broadcast something instead of a, a tweet, you would put out an ad in the personal section. Make sense? Okay, cool. And so um, this, is what, this is what the dad wrote to out, out in the ether of the analog internet called the newspaper. It said this, Paco, meet me in the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. That was it. Three short sentences. The next Tuesday at noon, the father went to the hotel and noticed, man, there's police cars and all kind of ruckus going on outside. Nearly 800 Pacos had shown up to be reconciled to their fathers. <laughs> I think deep inside of every human being, there's this desire to be reconciled. And the good news is the father has done everything to make it possible. And so be reconciled. I implore you, be reconciled. And if you're in Christ, don't forget of this good news. God was not motivated by how amazing you were, and that's why he saved you. He knew what he was getting involved in. He knew you. 
And so that love has not changed. No matter what you've done or not done, no matter, you know, it's, it's a shaky walk with you and him. It's okay. He's got you. He will see you to the end. I love that Brandon read that verse. Uh, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was Philippians 1, 6 that, uh, that he will bring you to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? You may be a mess until you die. The day of Christ Jesus is when, is when uh, you go home with the Lord or he comes to you. So you may be an absolute wreck that he knew he was getting involved with until the day when he returns and all things will be right. You will be glorified in the glorified state then. Does that make sense? Yeah, so don't forget God loves you. Now, one more thing I want to say. Uh, I, I want to stir up something, and I want to I make you think about it. Uh, I, it's basically, I'm the kid with a bat, and I saw a, a hornet's nest, and I just want to hit it, and then I want to run. And so what I'm getting ready to say, you're possibly going to need some supernatural intervention to help with what I'm getting ready to stir up. Some of you are really not going to like what I'm getting ready to propose, uh, and some of you already know what I'm going to do. If God cared so much about reconciliation to move heaven and earth, to send his son, then shouldn't we care about reconciliation with one another as well? Right? I mean, a lot of language in the Bible about being recon reconciled. Like we have vertical reconciliation, meaning we're, because all that God has done, we're, we're, we're at peace with him. Why not attempt, put some effort in, uh, employ the gospel to be reconciled to one another? That's why we do the pass the peace. Every Sunday we do the pass the peace because that's an element of the gospel. Because we have peace with God, we should have peace with, with one another. And so, so should, shouldn't we like, you know, like put, put a little effort behind that? Why? And I say this because of this reason. It's hard to be right with God when you're not right with someone else. You ever notice that? feels like there's a blocking. Like, yeah, if you're in Christ, you have union with Christ. That's inseparable bond you have with Christ. But your communion with Christ gets kind of wonky. Jesus says something about this in Matthew 5, 23. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, like you're worshiping, and there remember that your brother has something against you, there's some kind of offense or something just not, not you know, vibing together. There's something just not right. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Again, I, I don't want to say a whole lot here. I want, I, want God, I want God to help you process this. But I, will, but I will ask a question. Don't say it out loud. As soon as I started talking about peace with other people, whose picture popped up in your mind? Who, who, who are you not at peace with? Is there anyone that you, you need to attempt to be reconciled with? Maybe in that attempt is you offering forgiveness. Are you accepting forgiveness? Can I, can I give you a little relationship 101? I am not a relationship guru. I struggle at them too at times. Uh, meaning, i.e., I say and do a lot of dumb. Uh, but the goal, whenever you're arguing or at, at odds with someone, the goal is not winning an argument or being right. The goal, because of Jesus in our lives, is to be reconciled if possible. Whose fault it is at the time kind of matters, but it really kind of doesn't matter. How, how can we get to grace first? How can we get to forgiveness first? How can, how can we employ the gospel in our lives? Because we have been reconciled with God. We can do our darndest to be reconciled with other people. Maybe for some of you, for some of you, you have got an axe to grind. Is that a, a current, is that a saying that people know in, out here? 
you got a, you got an axe to grind. Uh, you are you got okay. You got grievances. Like you you're you're upset with somebody, and they don't even know it. And you replay things in your mind. Well, they said they did, or that text. I took it this way, or this that, or they did whatever that is. And like you like you just like inside, you're just like grinding out. Like they're living rent free in your head. What what if you were to like you know what? I, I, I'm either gonna let it go. Ever thought about that? It's a radical thought. Let it go. Let love cover the offense. The Bible talks about that. Just let it go. Or the spirit of humility and the spirit of reconciliation be like, you know, I, I, I want to I go talk to them. I'm gonna, man, can we talk through this? Can we, can we work through this? Not to shame them, not to rub their face, not, but no, I really want to be, to be reconciled. Can you just let it go? Can you cover the offense? Listen, I'm realistic. I know right now there are probably some egregious things that have happened to you, that people have done to you, that have sinned against you. And there's just like, you're like, I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how to reconcile. Or there's people that like, no matter what I've tried, they will not. Okay, I understand. I understand. We give it our best. We ask the Lord to help us. We remind, we're reminded what he's forgiven us of, and so we, we get at it. But perhaps you might be, have a Romans 12 situation where you're just going to live at peace with them. Meaning, live at peace with one another means we might not be in an intimate, close relationship, but publicly and privately, I will respect them. I'll be kind to them, and I'll move forward with life. Maybe. I, I don't know. What, what is God telling you today when it comes to being reconciled, not only with him, but with other people? What is he telling you? Hey, I love you. The good news is we're not in hell right now. Hooray. This is great. I don't know about you. That just makes me love Jesus more. Makes me want to trust Jesus more. Makes me want to talk about Jesus more. Makes me want to obey Jesus more. Makes me want to think about Jesus more. It makes me want to sing to him even more. Let's take an opportunity now. I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to go to communion together. Communion is a peace meal. It's like a, it's like a, a reconciliation meal. To be reminded, a tangible way to be reminded that if you're in Christ, that you trust Jesus, you exclusively worship Jesus, you have peace with God. Isn't that good news? I'm going to pray for us, and we'll do that now. Father, thank you so much for your great love, grace, and mercy, and kindness towards each and every one of us. That while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners and enemies, Christ, you died for us, and you resurrected for us. That you showed and displayed your great love for every one of us. And as recipients of that, all we can say is thanks be to you. Thank you. Now, in light of that, may it spur us to, to follow you more and to trust you more and believe your promises and obey you and Lord, many of us need the, the, the joy of our souls to be revived. And may, may you just revive our souls. Maybe there's, we come in here and just sad and depressed. And, but but may, may you give us a little pep in our step and let us float out a little bit, but knowing that, man, we didn't get hell today. And that's good news. And God, I pray also for my friends here that, that don't know you, that haven't been reconciled to you. I pray they hear this good news that there's nothing they can do to earn, deserve, or work for. It's already been done by you, Jesus. So, so Jesus, I just ask, would you save them? Would you, would you give them new life? And would you help them to walk in this newness of life as, as family, as friend, as brother and sister? 
And, and, and as you're doing this, I think one of Paul's many purposes, but one of his purposes here is to create unity within the church that come from different backgrounds, different life, different everything. May we be unified as one because of this good news. It may just cause joy, and God may cause happiness in us. And may, may that joy and that happiness be contagious among us, and also may it be uh, just a light to the world out there that's pretty sad. And so, Jesus, uh, we, we, we thank you, and we, we praise you, and we, we ask all this and do all this for your namesake and in your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.